up you drunk fuck <laughs> <laughs> yes it's uh, yeah. definitely the right computer uh, you know what's interesting about this coffee what? you know how like sometimes when you pee after drinking coffee mm, you yeah. have this faint smell of coffee in your pee <laughs> no i well, have you um, should notice i that wish pee. i could what this coffee smells like and tastes like is that pee that <laughs> before, before you even pee you know? is it worse than a speaking of peeing are you feeling a draft a draft. Oh, X, Y, Z. I mean, I know I have to look at your crotch. Sorry about Because you sit on a high chair, I but actually, I don't want to look at your actual, you know. No, it's a congenital defect. It prevents me from zipping my fly regularly. <laughs> uh, Maybe you have faulty pants. I definitely have faulty pants. Oh, my God. All right. I didn't get much sleep last night either. No. I was tossing and a turning. Well, at least we're doing the show. We're here. And That's we're, something. Showing up is half the battle. And, <laughs> no, go ahead. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And boy, boy do we, we have, have a show, show for you. you. Remember when we used to do that? Yes, that was my, that's yeah, what I wanted. I know. Today on RMA, as the dark, cold autumn creeps in over the horizon, we <laughs> hunker down in really? the storeroom studio to discuss emotional sobriety. 12 smart things to do when the booze and drugs are gone by Dr. Alan Berger. All this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. Wow, a little ad-libbing there. <clears throat> so, that's what we're doing. We're doing a book. That's right. actually a we're book. We're doing a book. It's a good book, too. And this Dr. Berger, I just want to say that I had a hilarious dad joke that... Um, the, my partner dad over here, it sounds like we're a gay couple raising a child. <laughs> Name's Mike. You can just say. Yeah. And uh, what did he say? I said, when I, when I suggested that we do yeah, this Yeah, I was book, like, okay, what? Well, first you're like, let's do emotional sobriety. And I was like, okay, that's great. What book is that in? And, and you're like, the 12 steps of, or whatever. And you're like, by Dr. Berger. Right. And then you were like, I'm like, what's his first name? Yeah, and said, you're like, Ham. Ham. It's, I'm like, it's, Jesus But Christ, you didn't really? get it. And then they said, no, it's an old biblical name. Right. You know, because yeah, yeah. it's Noah's son right. with huh? Ham. Yeah, ham. <laughs> so, yeah that's anyway. about as dad jokey as it gets, ham my friends. Burger. So Dr. Burger. And um, yeah, it's going to be uh, a great show. I listened to the beginning chapter of that. Yeah. Um, Four times this week when I was running. <laughs> it starts off a little dry. Um, well, but the dry is the good part, I thought. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I usually like a little, you know, with feeling. He, yeah. Dr. Berger's not a feeling guy, really. No. Um, Which is ironic, it considering is. the subject matter. But I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought, you know, as I was listening to it, I said, yes, yes, yes. yes. These are all the things yes. I've been trying. Yes. Yes. It was, yes. was orgasmic. Don't stop. Don't stop. Yeah, don't stop reading. <laughs> Keep talking about emotional uh, sobriety. <laughs> it's tickling my uh, sobriety bone, <laughs> as you say. Um, so... Yes, thank you. I got you. no timing. I got no game today. Man, I got nothing. I am so tired. Um, I'd like to welcome a big <laughs> welcome to our listeners stateside and around the world. If you're listening to us for the first time from hearing us on this Naked Mind podcast, welcome. And what took you so long? Why are we getting so many Brits lately? Did any uh, of- Grace have like a, a 
beachfront over there and I don't uh, know in Engl- merry old England because it, it seems like we have so many English people now. yeah if you're if you're a listener from across the pond uh, write us and tell us how you found us um, was it my clever marketing that uh, uh, probably they, that or or uh, you know I don't know who knows but a lot of them it's weird the time change though because you know they write things on the Facebook group which is you know during their day which is our night sometimes. Right. Yeah. So it's like 24-7 on the private RMA group. Yeah, there's always somebody lurking around there. Yeah. So you should also visit, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. You can listen to us directly there. You can buy merch. Please buy us some t-shirts. My wife really wants to get that box out of the living room. Yeah, I'm wearing one and I think it looks awesome because it's you are. fall weather and this is like a fall weather shirt. It's You're like wearing It's a three-quarter one. baseball thingy yeah, with the university style. Perfect. Just in time for uh, sports seasons. Yes. So, sports ball is being played here and many, there. Many of you enjoy the, the sports, <laughs> as do we all. Well, some, most of us. Especially Mike. Oh, God, I, sports. I love sports. This man. is a guy that tailgates at uh, Jets games regularly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's one place to get drunk, it's at a Jets game. <laughs> um, yeah, so buy some merch. Um, you know, you have a shirt. We've given away shirts. Yeah, the shirts look good on you guys. And people sending pictures. Somebody ordered a shirt, apparently, and didn't get it. Recently? I don't know. I, don't know. I'll check I told them I would look into it, but I don't know how to look into we're it. We're still... <laughs> I think you know how to We're still into. figuring out every uh, all the processes to get the shipping and ordering down perfect. But one thing that works is it does take your money so if that part works the the, the rest of it is what we're right. whether, whether you get a product you, <laughs> you know, will no. not really our concern it'll happen it, they'll they go out uh they do as soon as i get notification i go and i even yesterday i yeah. sent grant his shirt and yeah that was awesome for uh you know what a great show we had show. with uh, with grant um if you guys didn't listen to the last show the great g money smooth the uh what did I call him? The editor at large of the RMA newsroom yeah. came on last week to uh, share his experience, strength, he's, and he's awesome. dropping the uh, dropping the wisdom on us. Um, Would you call it a whiz bomb? Sure. You want to call it a whiz bomb? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, okay. Dro- I think I just coined a, a ridiculous of, term. That's a couple of different meanings there, but <laughs> he yeah, dropped a whiz bomb. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> That's what we do during the break. Yeah. Um, get the latest news updates. Uh, meet other RMA monsters on our private, unsearchable Facebook group found easily by searching Recovery in the Middle Ages on Facebook search or find the link conveniently embedded on middleagesrecovery.com. Also, tell your friends all about us and uh, tell us they can t- tell us. Tell them they can find us on yeah. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, etc. Share the show. Share the show. Share, share the, the love. love. Uh, see? <laughs> uh, as always, great reviews will be read right on the air. We've had an uptick in reviews. I think people like the idea that their words may be read right on the air. So yeah. keep them coming, guys. Yes, we got a really good one today. Yeah. Tell us your story by logging into middleagesrecovery.com. Find the form on there, fill it out, and uh, we'll read it on the air. That would be great. Yeah. And so we got one, right? We do. It's a short one, but a good one. So. You want to do it? You want me to do it? All right, I'll do this. You do the uh, review. Okay. Okay. I think this guy's name is Jeff. I put it at the end. I, yeah. Okay. okay. So Jeff. For me, AA was a great starter kit. It mm. kept me sober, and I liked the people and cookies, but I didn't <clears throat> want to do the, quote, work. I just enjoyed relating to others and sharing our stories of insanity. Then I started listening to podcasts like Recovery Elevator, great et cetera, podcast. and eventually found you guys. Uh, and that's what's been working for me. I've been sober four and a half years now. 
I stopped drinking just before I turned 50. So I'm right there with you. Like some of us newbies, I started my own recovery podcast, but hey. it ran out of steam before it really got going. That's very easy to do. I'm, I don't know how we fucking did this. If there wasn't two of us, <laughs> one of us would yeah. not have been able to carry I this I think that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I've got an effing twisted sense of humor, and it shows in the episodes. Like what kind of... Yeah, we should. I want to listen to this podcast. Maybe we should have listened to it. Is it it like serial killer shit or? Oh, it's called. I'll read what it's called. Um, (laughs) And I am itching to get it going again. He wants to get his podcast going. So maybe this will help. Yeah. I would appreciate your checking it out when you have the time and any advice. I'll take it. It's called. Everybody ready? Get your pencils out and your pads. This podcast is called F Booze. As in the letter F. B O O Z. Right. Um, So free plug. And uh, he says thanks. And keep up the great work. That's Jeff, and he's 54. So check out the F Booze podcast. If it's any good, you know, write to him. Tell him to start making it again. That's yeah. the fellow monkster out there. Maybe you can join our podcast network uh-huh. once, we, once we get that going. Maybe, maybe. The recovery juggernaut that we are. We're thinking about it. We are. Should I have not said that? No. Keeping our plans, you know. Plans within plans. Anyway, here's so, our, we also have a review. And here's the review from Jen ed 3 Uh Uh, From Saturday, this past Saturday, I guess. Daily Dose. Uh, Not even sure how I found this podcast, but so thankful that I did. Love the chemistry between Mike and Nat. They're hilarious. Open with their experiences with addiction and full of advice. And (laughs) and occasionally (laughs) we blow our noses into the microphone. Um, Take what you like and leave the rest. And tons of resources to help people find their own path to sobriety. Or even if you're just looking to get back in control of your life. Wow. Yeah. People look at us to get control of their lives. It's terrifying. (laughs) Don't do that. Join the RMA private Facebook group. It's like having a support team slash family at their fingertips. Yay. No judgment zone and kind, loving people that are there to cheer you on. Love the show with Grant. Super cool guy. We'll be following his Sober Linings playbook. All right. Yes. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Jen. You also also should go and uh, subscribe to... Uh, Grant's Sober Linings Playbook. Yeah, we It'll give you the, all the news you can use about addiction and recovery and stuff, and it, it comes out on a weekly basis, usually on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, so anything happened to you? You have a brush with the law this week you want to talk fuck, about? Yeah, you know, I was working on the outline uh, all week, you know, but not as much as usual. So I didn't have the same number of uh, bullet points for the things that happened to me. It was sort of like, <laughs> my life was crazy this week. And... um and just when I thought I would have nothing to talk about, <laughs> I, you know, I'm working the second job at this medical billing company. It's like I drive about 20 minutes to it, you know, four days a week, come back to the, my shop by two o'clock. And uh, so this time my boss was like, can you please make these deposits for me on your way back to, the, you know, your store? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure. But what it meant was I had to find a Citibank in um, on Jericho Turnpike. And uh, there's two of them. And the one I was looking for was on one street, that, I, and then I couldn't find that. Then I went to the other one. Long story short, I'm all discombobulated. I'm trying to race back to the store to, you know, to uh, take over. And, um, and also I had a delivery to make because the local private school needed like 10 soccer balls or something. And I was like trying to race to get that. Long story short, I'm going 60, I guess, in a 35. <laughs> <laughs> and whoops now keep in mind i have zero points in my license nothing has gone horribly wrong since the dwi six years ago i guess it was 
But still, the second that those lights... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I had a PTSD reaction. Like, for real. I was, like, shaking. I was so nervous. You're trying to hide things under the seat? And I didn't have anything to hide. (laughs) That's the thing. I still had that feeling of, like, oh, Mm -hmm. like, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, you know? And uh, it was just really disturbing uh, the way it made me feel. But uh, in the end, it was, like, you know, I said, called him sir, you know, I did I didn't start an altercation. You didn't call him a motherfucker? No. <laughs> That's helpful. No, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a little tan and I do have a beard, so I'm very careful with how I speak with police. <laughs> so, <laughs> Were you afraid they're going to put you in Gitmo? I don't know what they're going to do, but yeah. uh, I've been... Uh, so what happened? Did you get so, a ticket? Uh, the guy, you know, saw that I had a good license, which is a miracle. Everything was in order, and I was really apologetic, you know, explaining, like, I got this new job, and I'm just kind of, I didn't realize it. And he goes, I'm going to give you a ticket. It's a 50. I'm going to put it at 50 at a 35. Oh, what a nice guy. He said, take it to the court. Uh, and then he said something like, we have to pull people over here. We're, you know, we're doing a sting operation on speeding. I guess a lot of people have been complaining. The Karens on the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the school boards. and the Was town. this in our town? It was on Robbins Lane. Oh. Yeah. By the school? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. But uh, in any case, he sent me on my way and said, just go and don't, he said, don't plead guilty. This was interesting. He was giving me legal advice. He's like, don't plead guilty. She shouldn't be doing. Take, take it to the court and talk to them and just tell them what happened and they'll make it like a parking ticket. He said, there'll be no points on your license. Now, how does it, as first, a lawyer, okay. the, what is first going of all, on here? First of all, that's the illegal practice of law. So <laughs> fuck him. And second of all. So what should I do? You should go and you should plead not guilty. That's what he told me yeah. to do. So because, he gave me good advice. Well, it doesn't matter. He's not, he's not qualified to give the advice. But anyway, what will happen is you'll go in there. You'll go in front of a D, of a, a ADA, probably a new one that, that's been assigned to work at mugging traffic court. It's at that private school sometimes. Yeah. And they'll, they'll offer you, if it's like a, a first offense in a, in a while, they'll yeah. offer you a plea to something, you know, like an equipment violation and just take it. So that's what I should do. Mm-hmm. Will you represent me? Well, if you want. Yeah, seriously? Yeah, sure. I'll go to court. I do it for Aaron all the time. Oh, my God. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Just give me a, enough of a heads up that I can get my oh suit my pressed because I haven't worn it in like two years. This is going to be amazing. That's, that'll be good for the show. So this speeding ticket is turning into one of the greatest things to happen to the show in a long time. <laughs> we're going to film the whole thing. I'm going to document it. <laughs> it's going to be great. So that's what I did. Um, besides that, you know, that was just the most traumatizing thing. I, I'd say it's not the most important thing, but it was the most traumatizing. But you got yeah. through it. I got through it. You didn't it. drive right to the bar afterwards to get drunk. No. That's the important thing. No, it was sort of interesting because, you know, I know how I feel when I see police officers behind me. I do. I always get that reaction like, oh, no, just because of my, I, I still to this day. So, you know, I noticed the way I was feeling. I didn't like burst into tears, you know, but I was definitely shaking against my will. And I was like, I found myself like, well, that's good because if he came up to you and you were crying and shaking, he probably would have pulled you out of the car, you know, but, uh, because I told him, I was like, I wasn't drinking. I swear, officer, (laughs) first thing, you you can drug test me right now, (laughs) but I didn't say that. But I mean, really the, the, the highlight of my weekend was Sunday, Funday. And we have something at our church. I told you we were building up toward called Rally Day, which is the first day of Sunday school. And we have a picnic uh, after the service. And there was axe throwing. Oh, uh, I love axe throwing. And then barbecue. And it was really nice. It was great to see all the kids again and their parents are back out. And, um, you know, it's 
nice to have uh, to see everybody in their Sunday best, you know, chucking axes. And I mean, good Christian fellowship. Men and women of every age. I yes. mean, like the seventy-five-year-old, you know, grandma was doing it. The children, they had axes for kids. Did you have like pictures of heretics up on the? Like, how, how did that go? They were throwing it. Yeah, the uh, picture of uh, Cardinal Dolan or something. <laughs> no, no, it was all good Christian fun, and it was a nice time. And we, um, you know, and then we went to the park afterwards, and um, yeah, it was a good time. Well, I noticed here that you went to. Uh, dinner afterwards at dirty taco i've been looking at that place i've been oh, eyeballing yeah. that place because it's new it's, good, it's dirty man. tacos but it's also a tequila bar yeah. so i'm sort of like yeah i yeah. don't know do i really want to go into that atmosphere the, the tacos would have to be pretty good to overcome like the atmosphere of the tequila bar you know it's funny because i w- i went there because my wife booked it or said here's where we should go it's really good so when i was going i wasn't imagining a t- tequila experience so just my impression going in was I'm going to a taco place. Ah. Um, I, I wasn't overwhelmed by tequila and drinking. <laughs> okay. I mean, it says tequila on a lot of signs and things like that. But They have like 90 different kinds of tequila. Yeah, I mean, like, to be honest, I didn't notice it at all. I just, it was nice. The tacos are great. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, we went early and with two little kids, you know, so yeah, yeah. it wasn't like we were there at, you know, Friday night at 1130. It's no mariachi band, no. you know, pouring no. shooters down your throat. I okay. highly recommend it. They have really good tacos yeah, really and, um, go. and the tequila is fantastic. No, I, I, <laughs> it was good though. I um, They have nice mocktails. That's what I wanted to say. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Every really cool mocktail they or cocktail they had. They also did it without really alcohol, except for there was a cup. The one I really wanted was like spicy something, kind of like a Bloody Mary. But um, it, it was they had they needed the tequila for that one, so mm. they, they didn't do that. But I got this really tasty watermelon uh, mocktail. It was really good. If the waitress is new, you should ask her for a virgin martini. <laughs> It's just like an olive yeah. in an empty glass. My my uh Erin used to work at the track. She used to work at Belmont and uh wow. when she was new, uh That's some amazing. of the regulars would, you know, yuck it up, be like, Hey Ani, bring me a virgin martini. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> she'd go to the bartender of the bar and be like, Tell I gotta go fuck himself. <laughs> uh your your pulling over story reminded me of a little pulling over story I'm gonna tell real quick. Uh, it was back in the days we were driving back from a dead show down in uh God, I hope I didn't tell the story. Driving back from a dead show in um, RFK Stadium down in D.C. Okay. And it was, um, I don't know, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning, and we got pulled over uh, for having still having our lights on during the daytime, which seems like a pretty flimsy excuse, but I think it was the dead stickers on the car. Yeah. Um, they pull us out one by one. They go through the car with the flashlights under the seats. They find a roach. About, Ooh. Yeah. So these are Maryland state troopers. So it's not like your local Keystone cops. So they're like, they pull us all out. And right um, before we'd gotten pulled over, or not before we got put before we left, I took, um, that was a different story. Never mind. I had a joint in my pocket. So right before we got pulled over, I stuck it in my shoe. Okay. They pull us all out. We're a bunch of dirty hippies. We've been on the dead tour for, you know, a couple weeks. Everybody smelled. You know, we didn't look that great. So they're like, uh, they searched everybody, didn't find anything. Then they, there were four of us. So they started at one end and they were like, said to the first guy, take off your shoes. And I was like, fuck, uh, I'm um. caught. And uh, he takes off his shoes, put them on. They got to this guy next to me whose name 
nickname uh, in our crew was Pete the Feet, and we called him that because he was he never cut his toenails. Uh-huh. So he had like six months worth of toenail growth, and the cops were like, "Take off your shoes." They take him off, and his feet were just so fucking nasty that, and they smelled. And the cops were like, "Ah, put your shoes back on." And I was next, and they didn't ask me to take yeah. my shoes off. Because, nice. So Pete's fucking feet saved me that day. <sighs> That's so gross. Anyway, they um. They let us go. Was that that time? <laughs> Mike just showed me a couple of pic- pictures of himself, uh, I guess from the 80s. Yeah. And um, it's really funny. I mean, the, the Grateful Dead shirt and, you know, the we tie dye. show. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like the uniform? Uh, well, it was at the time. I mean, I don't yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. it looked like a lot of fun. I don't know. I didn't look. I, I didn't think I looked that great in that picture, but you look like you're having fun. You're, yeah. you're marching onward and upward. I'm and fairly certain I was on acid when that picture was taken. Yeah, uh, I had a weird experience um, last week. I was coming into your shop mm. to um, to mail a T-shirt to one of our listeners, and I walked by the homestead, mm. and which this, is a restaurant bar, mostly a bar. I guess there's food there, right? Yeah, the guy cooks. I mean, they have specials <laughs> the guy and cooks. things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's not like you're ordering lunch from there. Though, it's right? very ambitious cuisine, by the way. If you if you read the descriptions of like the specials, you're like, really? He's gonna make it? really? Because <laughs> I know that guy. The only He's thing the I've owner. ever gotten in there is a quesadilla. <laughs> it's the it's the owner and his brother, and um, he fancies himself like a really good chef, and um, and. Once in a while, he nails it though. I mean, sometimes it's really good. It's just not that consistent. Anyway, I'm walking by and I and the door was open and I get a whiff out of the door of like Homestead. Uh, you know, now I've said the name three times. I'm yeah, you're definitely leave it in. Yeah, might as um, well. and at that minute, it made me want to do a pivot, walk in, sit down, and drink a beer, and that feeling just came wow. out of nowhere because I've walked by that bar a hundred times and yeah. have, have usually think, oh, that's pretty sad. It's the middle of the day. There's like five guys in there. You know. Yeah, man. But, um, but it kind of set me back on my heels a little bit. I and you know I came in here. I didn't actually say anything about it. Sergeant Slaughter was here that day. Yes. That day. And um, yeah, so I don't know. But it was interesting because I watched the thought arise in my head mm-hmm. and just sort of let it flow out the other side, you know, without and acting the, on it. You know? That's the true mastery right there. I mean, you, you can never say that you know you'll never have these thoughts again. The question is, what do you do with them when you do have them? Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe at some point you do stop having those thoughts. I don't know. It was surprising to me because I, no. I, I typically don't have those thoughts, you no. know? But, you never know when it's going to hit you. You never yeah. know when there's some environmental stimuli that's going to stimulate yeah. stimulate your sobriety bone. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, <laughs> my sobriety bone was stimulated. <laughs> you know, yeah. But, you know... I, what, I, you know, I, I, so part of me wonders, like, what carried me through, was it all the, you know, the recovery stuff, or was it the fact that I was, you know, 10 feet away from your front door with a shirt I needed, to, a recovery shirt that I mm. needed to mail, you know what I mean? I'll take full credit for yeah. your successful recovery. Because, like, what if I'm, what if I was walking in Manhattan yeah. by myself, right? you know, and, and McSor- I was walking by McSorley's or something. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah. The, you know. I don't know. I mean, I like to think I would, would have done the same thing, but. I think of that as like, and, and this has come up actually on a, on a couple of Facebook groups. I don't think, I think I neglected to um, to make a web wisdom. Uh, I know I like screenshotted it, but it was talking about this. Someone was asking something like, does it get easier? 
um, you know, each time that you refuse oh, yeah. a drink. Well, that's um, Annie's, Annie Grace's big thing is like after you, di- after you go past it I don't know what once, I it's easier to go past it the next right. time. And, and I had a brilliant comment I made. You know, I Did posted you? something and it changed everybody's <laughs> lives. Just, <laughs> just the presence of my name over a post that you should have seen it. You have that just effect on people. Boom. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting. Yeah, it made me think like, you know, I think of my trip to Mexico that I successfully didn't drink. You know, I think of that as like a really good workout. You yeah. know, like okay, man, now I can handle walking by a bar. Bone is much stronger now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big ass bone. Um, <laughs> the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Just watch out for the recovery dogs; they'll come and get it. Come get your bone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so guess what I did last night? Here's why I'm so loopy. Oh, why did what did you do last night? So my lovely and talented wife who is awesome at finding fun things to do. Um, because if it were me, I would just <laughs> do, around. Reti- I would do nothing. I would, <laughs> I would work, eat, and, you know, go to sleep. That right. would be my life. I'd make a podcast maybe once in a while. But uh, So she got us tickets to see Jim Gaffigan, who's one of our favorite stand-up comedians, and he was playing Radio City Music Hall. And That's a lovely place to see a show. It is, but uh, a lot of you out there who are not from the New York area, um, people think New York, they think of New York City, right? Right. But we don't, we're not in New York City. We are <clears throat> traveling distance. We call it the city. Yeah, or town, right? This is the country that's Heading the town. into we're town. going into town. Yeah. And so for us, when we go into town, um, you know, it's, it's not far, but it is a horrible pain in the ass to drive in, to park. Did, did you drive? We drove, but oh. we went in early. We went to a fancy steak place, which was like mediocre at best. And, um, <laughs> it was in Midtown, right? Yeah, tourist, yeah. tourist land. And um, it was, man, really expensive. But one of the things we <laughs> were talking course. about, because it was finally my wife and I had a chance to like be together, not with the kids, and kind of talk about things. And of course, all you talk about is the kids, yeah. you know, because <laughs> that's, that's what true. we're struggling with at the moment. So, and I was trying to like not talk about. But, um, you know, my wife was saying like, she, she, we got to this restaurant and it wasn't what she wanted, like when she was picturing the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, she had been questioning her decision to go to this restaurant. And, um, and I didn't step up and say, no, let's do a different one because to me it looked good, nice too. It was a nice uh, steakhouse, whatever. So we got there and it was raining and all of these things were seemingly going wrong. Like my shirt, my dress shirt, we dressed up a little bit, was mm-hmm. soaked oh, when, dear. when we left the restaurant. But, First, it started at the restaurant not being kind of what she wanted. And uh, I was just kind of like, man, I'm hungry. I'll eat anything. But I wanted, you know, her to have a nice time. And we don't get out a lot, um, if at all. So it was really a good exercise. And like, you know, let's just, you know, make the most of this. We're out. You know, yeah, the music is annoying. And, um, you know, it's not that romantic. But we're together. and, um, And the food isn't that bad. It was pretty good. So, you know, we went on to enjoy our dinner, and then uh, it's pouring, like pouring out, and we are not prepared. We have like a child's umbrella, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so by the time we walked across the street to Radio City, I was completely soaked. And, um, but I was like, I'm not going to let, and this is, goes back to the book we're talking about, I'm not going to let even this rain edit my reality. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm at peace. I'm happy. You know? Uh, my shirt being wet is not something that's against me personally. Right. This is just a thing that is. Shit my shirt happens. is wet. And so what? 
And uh, and so we went there, and <laughs> I went into the bathroom at Radio City, took my shirt off, so I'm shirtless in the bathroom, drying myself off. <laughs> and I went to the uh, the hand dryer, which is this one from the 20s that has a foot pedal. It's really cool. It's yeah, a beautiful yeah. bathroom. Yeah. I was thinking of taking a picture of it for you guys, but not, there was guys pissing. <laughs> so um, I did not want to get arrested. But uh, And then people were coming in, and I'm sitting there with my shirt off, like, you know, cleaning it. Um, and I ended up having a great time, you know, and we both had a great time and the kids were fine. Um, you know, we have this separation anxiety, I think still, Yeah. you know, so it was great, you know, but I'm exhausted. I got to bed at like 12. It's hard to like turn on a dime with a restaurant in the city that you've made plans to go to. Yeah. It really is. Cause we're cause like, we don't know what's open. We don't know what right. has, or you, you go in, you, you know. they don't have room for you and all this stuff. And yeah. it's raining on top of it. Yeah. So we Weather was pretty nasty, but. Hey, you survived. You survived going to the city. No, it was great. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder, you know. Yeah, but uh, Jim Gaffigan, if you don't know him, he's a great, like, clean comic, funny as hell. Like, you will laugh. I, I laughed the entire time, and it was all new material. Um, he's one of these funny, he's like a middle-aged dad doing dad jokes. Oh. Like, it's perfect. Right, right up my alley. You guys out there, <laughs> Jim Gaffigan, you'll, you know, any of his Netflix specials, just sit back and crack up. So around about 2017, I think was the last time I went to Radio City, and uh, some permutation of the Grateful Dead was playing there for the first time in, in, since 1980, uh, which was the last time the Dead played at Radio City. So I went in with Aaron and a friend of mine, and uh, so 2017, 18, 19, 21, so like five years ago, um, still drinking at the time, but I was still what, like f in my late 40s? I get... Um, I get busted drinking a beer on the street and by undercover NYPD officers who made me go stand in an alley with a bunch of other schlubby guys that you they caught. You got a drinking ticket? And I got a drinking oh, ticket. Oh, that's classic. At 40, whatever, 47 years old. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it, was so, it, it was so embarrassing. Yeah. You know? um, I don't even know what happened to that. I hope I paid it. I was about to say, <laughs> you didn't pay it. Um, but yeah. at least you... Uh, you went fishing. I went fishing. Did you say you're enjoying Saturday. your sober life? I'm enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for picking that right off the uh, outline, yeah. there, my friend. Yes, uh, it was actually a fantastic day. Aaron uh, went out with a bunch of people from work uh, out east to the east end by the Hamptons, but on the North Ooh. Fork. Yeah, uh, oh, Greenport or whatever. Yeah, they did a bike tour out there. That's awesome. They biked like from winery to farm to winery again that's cool. uh yeah she had a she had a good time but that kind of left me at loose ends with the kids so i took two out of three of them on the boat the other my oldest son did not want to go yeah i was doing my usual like text you know i get my manic ideas and stuff and i start <laughs> you know rapid fire texting mike you know <laughs> and he doesn't write back and i'm like all right whatever i'm like he's probably busy and finally he writes back Dude, I'm on the boat. I can't really talk, man. I'll read this later. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. I, I expect uh, instantaneous gratification. I need to know your thoughts immediately. As soon as I think of something, I got to have that. But, and I apologize. I usually uh, put everything else aside, but uh, but I was, you know, I didn't want to drift into the shoals with the kids hey, on the boat. You to, know, uh, anything you put above your recovery, <laughs> you will lose. Including, apparently, so, right, uh, your children, your boat. Children, boat, and the 12 porgies. Your sense of privacy and dignity. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes below. well my son made me bring the potato gun on the boat because he wanted to <laughs> made you huh <laughs> he wanted to shoot it off but it, 
it was like the last nice day of summer, really. And so the, there were wall-to-wall boats out there. Yeah. And uh, he's like, can we shoot it? And I'm like, I, I think if we shoot it, <laughs> the Coast Guard's going to come get us. You'll end up in a foster home, and I'm going to be in big trouble. Yeah. So he, I use that thread a lot. Uh, like, he, he was pissed <laughs> that we couldn't shoot it off. He's like, they'll come take you away from me if oh. I let you do that. Ben caught like 10 fish. Really? It's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. For porgies? Uh, porgies. I ended up filleting them when I got home. Can I have one? We ate them already. All of them? All of them. Jesus. I know they're small fish. Yeah, they are small fish. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know. It was actually a really good day. You know, I take these opportunities to have time with like either of my older two kids like yeah. because it's infrequent. They always are doing something or they'd rather not hang out with a 53-year-old man. It's weird. <laughs> you know, for some reason. Mm. Can't quite figure out why. Um so when the, when he does like with Jack, you know Jack's having issues adjusting to this new yeah I was going to ask about that. Um, I wanted the Jack update. Yeah, he's um he forgot his ID today. He texted me from the bus. I was like, oh shit, you're going to get in trouble. So, <laughs> sorry, son, nothing I can do about it. They wrap his knuckles with a ruler. No, he oh. might have to. I don't know. I don't think they'll give him detention. Penance for the first they, time. They walk Three across, Hail Marys and an Our Father. <laughs> walk across the parking lot on his knees, you know, holding a rosary. <laughs> well. They, they do that, that in they the say? back room. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, what do they call that? Self-flagellation? Yeah, when yeah. You're when hitting you yourself? beat yourself with yeah. the thing. Very good. Uh, yeah, it's all. It's all the bright spots of uh, extreme Catholicism <laughs> and sort of in one. It's not that bad. No, of course but not. But the thing is, though, like, I'm trying to help him, right? Because it's yeah. a big adjustment. And so, you were there. And I went there. So I know it's a big does adjustment. Does he appreciate that about you? That, he does. Like, you've we've, been through it. Yeah, and, we've swapped some stories. There are yeah. a couple teachers that are still there. That's amazing. But... Yeah, those nuns are immortal. There's no nuns. No it's nuns? All, it's all brothers and priests. I would be so disappointed if I went to Catholic school and there weren't a nun to wrap my knuckles with a <laughs> ruler. You know, I'd expect that, you know, from the brand. Yeah. Well, especially if you were using your recovery bone. It's called <laughs> yeah. leaning into your brand. Right? Yeah. Um, so he's anyway, doing well, he's, though? Better? He's, he's doing great classes, but socially it's an issue and he's got all the clothes. But So I've been trying to drive him. You know, because it gives him like an extra almost 40 minutes in the morning if he doesn't take the bus. Um, it's only fair since you he drives you crazy. <laughs> and um, That's a bad one. But it's like I'm driving him in the morning and I'm picking him up in the afternoon. I'm like, I got my fucking commute back. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's like it takes me like 40, 40 minutes each way. Ugh. It really is. So I'm trying to like dial that back. But I don't yeah, know. well, you finally got to work from home another year, and now you're still commuting. Yeah, um, it is what it is, though. I, you know, I I'll do anything for the kids. Speaking of doing anything for the kids, my <laughs> oldest son is a segue. Yeah, you like that? It was it was very natural. Um, <laughs> my oldest son, we you know we talked about how he's completely rejected any kind of athletic endeavor. Mm. He uh, he's um, he's a shorter kid. He's skinny. And um, he just doesn't jive with the sports kids, you know, remembering that I have a sports store, everyone, you know, if I opened up a YouTube <laughs> store, he'd be an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's, you know, fine with me, so long as he has something else that he like loves and does that's right. not just sitting around. So uh, he loves like learning about coding and like, you know, all that computer stuff that I was like that too. I just wasn't as smart as him. Mm. So there's a place called Code Ninjas. That's like a kind of an after school all about coding, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Finally, uh, you know, we brought him there just because we want him to have activities besides, you know, his school and um, and also he's playing the trumpet and he's very good. So I'm very happy. He's sort of, 
you know, following in some of my footsteps there, and I can I can guide him with the trumpet lessons. But uh, so the codage is it's just right up his alley. He was so happy learning to make video games and things like Super, that. Super man, and, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's really you know that's he's kind of a struggle right now because he's a lot like a teenager, you know, but he's young. So now he's feeling mentally like he's like fifteen. Mm. But you're still 10 years old, you know. Right. You can't be in charge of your little brother while we go to the city. You know, he was incensed that we got him a babysitter. Yeah, wait till he's at least 11. At least, you know. <laughs> so, um, so, but, you know, I think that was a, a nice step. But also an interesting aside, you know, that they, they do have these things for kids. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He really enjoyed it. I got to find something for Ben because he's just, he's becoming Velcro to the couch. And, and He might like Code Ninjas. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He, he got banned from TikTok yesterday, Ben. Uh, Noah was banned as well. Really? Yeah, because they're too young. They, they oh, sent him a letter. No, that wasn't, that wasn't it. They it got was, it for him. They figured really? out he was 10. Because oh. he was making a lot of videos. He had a lot of followers. Yeah. He was actually starting to get some traction. He had a thousand plus, uh, I think it was TikTok followers. Wow. Uh, That's pretty impressive. I don't know how he did it. but um, Ben made some, I guess there's this um, series of videos going on where you know, people go will go into a school and like steal something from the bathroom, but but TikTok is like banned all videos with that. Oh, so Ben made a it was like a um, a joke one. Like he went into our bathroom and he stole like a piece of toilet paper and put it in his pocket and like <laughs> slunk out. But because he titled it whatever that title was, yeah. like the banned. the, the uh, AI flagged it. And knocked him off for like two days. Oh, wow. But they haven't got, you know, Noah was on another platform called Twitch that was doing real. Which yeah, was I know Twitch. Yeah. Ban- he was suspended from that one. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I was surprised he didn't ask me to like, you know, sign up for it myself using my driver's license and social security <laughs> number. Because, right. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I would have asked. But these, guys, th- these kids, they roll with it, right? They're like, oh, okay, I've kicked off for a day, yeah. you know, because they don't kick them off from consuming content they only kick them off from creating content exactly you know so it's annoying because the part i liked about it was the creation right aspect of it anyway let me ask you a question sure is recovery an event or is it a process (sighs) recovery is a process yeah which is a series of events Yeah, sure. The process yeah. is just like yeah, I can make everyone happy. You see. So, so people please. That's that's, very, that's a very legal, legalistic yep. answer too. I was raised yeah. by lawyers. Um, so that, you know, I ask that because it brings us to sort of our main topic discussion today, which is emotional sobriety. Uh, specifically, a book by Dr. Alan Berger called Twelve Smart Things to Do." Is that hamburger when <laughs> booze and drugs are gone. <laughs> Choosing emotional sobriety through self awareness and right action. Dr. Berger needs an editor to make a shorter title to his books. Yeah. He needs a pithier title. Because um, you I, notice I, he has like 10 books like that. It's like six things all. you can do to do this or five yeah. things. You know. He is not a marketing guy. He's just like, here's everything that's in the book on the front page. Well, I don't know. You I, know, the I, front, I, the I front he, page. Is, I think he is a marketing guy because, you know, he's got like 90. He's like, and in this book, he's like, I don't know if you, you look in the introduction and he said, uh, I wrote the entirety of this book on Southwest flights from Los Angeles to uh, no, like Colorado or something. Yeah, <laughs> I have to admit that Mike did the bulk of the research for this one. Um, he was just into it, and I was, you know, totally crazed this week. So I listened to the book one and a half times, and uh, I really resonated with a lot of what he's saying. A lot about this book is sort of what we talk about, which is yeah. Once you put the drink and the drugs down, and you're not like every day fighting to not do it, which I think if you're working your program properly, 
you should be at that point. Mm-hmm. When is up to the person? But you know, I, I'm not a believer in these people who say every day is a battle. You know, right? Um, I don't want to live every day as a battle. No, it's exhausting. But you, you, the problem is when it does get easier like that. It's also easy to get complacent to just continue to go to meetings and participate but that's all you're doing there's you're not improving more you're not becoming emotionally differentiated yes as as he puts it I mean, you can go to enough meetings or whatever just to say stay sober but but you're still stuck yeah. and i, I it, it was so interesting to me to come across this book and i thank you so much for recommending it. You're very welcome. Because I'm a wisdom bringer. I, it was a whiz bomb. It's a whiz it's a whiz bomb. <laughs> I don't always um I don't always really mesh with self-help shit. Like yeah. I, 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 the whole genre makes me feel a little it's cringy. Yeah, it's a little cringy. And some of the people who write books uh, in this area, like they don't know what they're talking about, or they're too airy fairy, whatever. Right. Um, and but you and I have sat here for the last year and whatever, talking about how the real work starts when you finally just put down the the drinking, but. Did, we never really sat here and defined what the real work means. It's always been this inchoate idea of yeah. just like getting better psychologically. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the things we do, but like to really encapsulate what we're trying to change about ourselves beyond not drinking is kind of what this is about. Yes, it's emotional sobriety is what we need. Emotional sobriety. Write it down. What is emotional sobriety? I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Emotional, <laughs> emotional sobriety is not about being free of emotions. Correct. That is impossible. You will always have your emotions. Rather, it's about freeing ourselves from bondage to our emotional states. Emotional sobriety is a state in which we experience our emotions and respect them, but we respond to them the way we would respond to other kinds of information. So when we don't act out in a knee-jerk response to every passing emotional state as... And then we got cut yeah, off. Yeah, got um, but you, you get the point. It's, it's like not being a, a slave to your emotional responses. Right. Yeah, um, you know, not being re- reactive. It's, be, it's being proactive in your in, in the way you respond to, to yeah. things. And that's the, one of the things I I have worked on since the beginning, not knowing I was working on it. By like you have these feelings and not taking them and going crazy and letting them dictate how you're feeling, right? You know, or what you're doing, and and. By doing that, you strengthen your your recovery as well. You know, you're you're less if you're driven by emotional states. If 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 you are subjected to the whims of your inner your inner baby, I think he called it at one point, right? right? King baby, that I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. Was Wah. that Doctor Nathaniel something something? Because there was a doctor oh, who talked about that. Yeah, no, that was name. the uh, Gestalt therapy guys. <laughs> anyway, I just like to hear my name. Um, you know then. It's easy to re- to relapse, right? It's easy to go have a drink because you feel like, you know, yeah. things aren't going your way and the world sucks and everybody's, you know, well, just not like, acting the way I want them to act. Yeah, you there's know? a lot of that. And just like the fact that you, when the, with that story you told about um, going to that bar and, he, you know, just smelling it. Mm. Now, you had a feeling inside, but did. it did not dictate what you did. It didn't change you know, you're set on your core and here's how I'm going to live. Here's what is good for me. And you get this feeling sort of against your will that you're able to be differentiated from, which is a word they use a lot yeah. in this book. You separate from it. I mean, the, the quality of our recovery ultimately is determined by how we respond to these challenges and problems in our mm-hmm. lives. Um, but we, but a lot of times we don't know how the best to respond to them. So we end up frustrated. We end up stuck. 
I mean, that's at the core of the problem. That's right? where the anxiety comes over from. Over and over, says, we yeah. want life to live up to our expectations. And when it doesn't, we try and force the square peg into, into the, the round, round hole. Putting the sobriety Using bone, our sobriety bone. <laughs> into the wrong <laughs> hole. <laughs> so, so we've uh, mentioned uh, emotional differentiation a few times. Explanation point. What is it? Well, he uses, uh, Berger uses an example from biology, okay? Um, I like biology. A cell, when it's young, mm-hmm. can be anything. Like a human cell can be an eyeball. It can be... That's what I tell my kids. You can be anything. A recovery bone. You it can be any, <laughs> anything, right? Mm-hmm. At its young stage. When it becomes differentiated, then it, the genes expressed in it can only be what it is, right? right. So if I took an undifferentiated cell from your body, anywhere in your body, mm-hmm. and say you needed like extra cheek meat or something, and I put it on your face, it would grow like into a cheek. But if the cell was already differentiated and it was an eye cell and I put it on your cheek, you would grow like an eyeball on your um, cheek, right? Right. So too is it with our emotional states. I like it. Yeah. I'm I mean, still like wrapping my mind around this, we, so we, I'm we, getting a lesson here. We begin life undifferentiated, right, emotionally. Um, right, you you're, you don't even think of yourself uh, as separate from your mother. I think for a period of time. Yes, if we, if we're encouraged to develop like according to our real self, we differentiate. And some people do that until they're in their late twenties. They still right. Well, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we differentiate, we will evolve into the person we are meant to be. We will mature and self actualization. So we've talked about yes. yeah. our development will be. Like that of an acorn that grows into a beautiful and deeply unique oak tree. That's poetic. Yes. Psychologically, differentiation results in a solid sense of self. The greater the differentiation, uh, the less will be overly influenced by circumstances, significant others, other people, other outside forces. It doesn't mean we don't allow ourselves to be influenced, but it means that we have the ability to choose to be influenced without feeling like we are losing ourselves or that we're being controlled in the process. Mm. But if we don't develop along that way, yes. poor differentiation leads to a fragile sense of self, over-anxious about being loved and accepted. We become an object rather than the subject. We be overly concerned with what we have and how others look at us and respond to us rather than focusing on who we are. And, and this is the key. Our value becomes determined by our, quote, marketability, and our self-esteem depends on what we have, our circumstances, and how we are accepted or treated by other people. Yeah. That's where you don't want to be. And that's, I feel like, where I am. And a lot of what I'm reading in this book, I'm seeing myself... You know, because I'm, I'm a. We've talked about me being a people pleaser. Yes, and um, and how this, how unhealthy this is. I mean, it is great for business because when someone comes in, I make them happy. Mm-hmm. Okay, where it doesn't work or make sense is when I do it with my wife and my family, and I'm, I'm just trying to please. I'm not like differentiating myself um, because I need the validation. And so the idea with this emotional sobriety would be, I'm going to be happy regardless of whether or not I make that person happy. Yes. Or how they're feeling. Exactly. Um, because, because you're constantly anxious if you're a people pleaser, right? You, sure. can't, you cannot live in a highly anxious state. If you do, that's going to drive you right back to the homestead for a couple of pints. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's what's been driving me back. I mean, so what we do though, to sort of avoid that anxiety is we create a false self, oh, which yeah. is constructed out of our perception 
of our perfect idealized self, what we think, um, who we think we should be or who we have to be to be loved and accepted. Right. right. Um, yeah. You, you have this idea in your head, this, right. and that's your idea of the perfect you. Right. And so you create this structure and then you're constantly trying to live up to it and constantly expecting other people to, right. you to, make that construct for the world around exactly. you. Exactly. And, um, and it's different for all of us because we're all a little different. Right. Like so, some of us would be more concerned with people pleasing and others would be more concerned with like being independent or having power over other people. You know, yeah. it all depends on like your particular unique set of feelings and, and circumstances and, and stuff inside your head. Um, but that's not your true self. That's your constructed self. Right? right. So the more alienated you become from your true self and you identify with who you should be, your life becomes like a tyranny of like, I should, I ought to. Right. Um, you know, I should and, have, and we, yeah. we, we're driven to like adhere to this own set of like fictitious rules that we've created, um, regardless of whether that is good for us or bad for us. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Pretty crazy. Like right. I mean, and of course uh, the effect it has in relationships is like you said, people pleasing, yeah. right. Codependence. And w- yeah, it creates like, if I'm just trying to make one person in my family happy all the time, it's impossible to do that. And so when you inevitably fail, that other person also gets used to that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they almost get in the practice of, you know, kind of being nasty to you. Um, well, it, I mean, that's, isn't that codependence like in a yeah, nutshell? I think right? it is. I think this is all a part of the same thing. Um, it seems like this. And it also reminds me of what we studied about Buddhism. Yes. Um, and what I mean by that is that Buddhism would be the method by which you differentiate yourself yes like, and they talk about techniques in this book and how to do that but that was the first thing uh one thing i love about studying this many different disciplines and religions and and histories is that you can find a unifying factor mm-hmm. and and what that does for me is it gets me closer to what may actually be the truth right and so when i'm reading something like this i'm thinking about what we learned about buddhism i'm thinking about what we learned just about in recovery and i feel like this fits right into that unified uh, field theory of uh, recovery i like it buddhism it's interesting because buddhism says that all of ourselves are a construct right and and we have a different self depending on what circumstance we find ourselves in yeah. you know and and that's you know i could have a different self with you and then when i go you know, to the bagel store, I have another self that I put out into the public over there. And you're not supposed and to do that? You're supposed to be unified, you right? You should be unified. Right? right. It should all be you. It should all be you. And, and the, the current moment. Yeah. I love it. Because then you kind of lose your thread. You lose the thread of, yeah. of who you are. And that, that's where Western psychology and Buddhism differs, right? Because Western psychology says there is a unique self. There is a self in there. Buddhists say there really isn't. <laughs> so there is a difference. Um, so but, if you're not unique, what are you? You're just the universe in Buddhism? Yeah, make me one with everything. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But so back to the idea of differentiation, you know, if you're undifferentiated, you become emotionally fused with other people and you become strongly influenced by other people and things. And how do we respond to emotional fusion? We try to control people. We uh, either submit to the will of others or circumstances, or we can emotionally withdraw. Those are three different ways that people deal with 
this differentiation. Yeah, I'm guilty of all of this stuff. <laughs> I know. I really, you know, I really identified with so much of this yeah. as I was listening to it. It was blowing my it's mind. Like looking man. into a mirror, unfortunately, but I mean, I'm guilty of that. I've been a lot better at being my oneself, you know, with everybody. But I was always a believer in, you know, you act a certain way in a certain place. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not mutually exclusive, you know, where, of course, you still be appropriate. Right. You know, there's but a line. But you can still have that common thread that right. inside of you that, you know, you you have a, a strong yeah. center. I like you know? to think that I'm, I've gotten better at that. You know, when my customers come into my store, I act a certain way. You know, I speak a certain way. I treat them with respect, um, regardless of the scenario, and to be friendly. I do the same at my work, um, where I go to work now. I try and do the same when I run into people in the streets. Like, so no matter where I am, I'm always trying to be that same, you know, but um, I don't think that it's, I ever do it all the time. Like, it's one of those things that right. I'm like, that's what I want, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so this is really encapsulating kind of what I've been trying to get to. You know, I would say like unifying myself, you know, the person I, I want to be. So we talked about a little bit about how, you know, the interact and how early on, you know, before I got recovery, I put this other person out there right? and the real person was doing all these terrible things and trying to unify myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this feels like it's kind of along those That's lines. That's interesting that you say that. Like you felt like the real person was the one that was doing the bad stuff. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And everything on the, you know, the, what I was putting out was my, what do you call it? The false self, maybe. Even if that false self was really good, it just wasn't me. And so I really wanted to be that false self. Well, maybe it's reverse, though. Maybe yeah. the false self was the you that was doing the using. Yeah. You know, what do they say in the, what's the dopey thing? I want to be good so bad. I do. I want like to be the, good so bad. At the end of the day, what you really want is to be good. Right. You know? And the, the disease of addiction uh, is that inability. It's like using or doing things that you know are wrong. You know, they call that cognitive dissonance. You're mm-hmm. doing something you don't want to do. And that's hard for a lot of people who aren't in that kind of mindset to understand. Why would he do that? He has kids. You hear that all the time. Right. Why don't you quit? You're going to lose your marriage. Right. Um, none, none of that matters. When you're in that, when you are, your brain is rewired and it is a survival instinct. And that's proven in science just by, you know, uh, there's plenty of studies about this, about how, you know, there's the famous rat study where he, you know, he keeps hitting the the button to get more cocaine, even though it electrocutes the uh, the rat. That's a famous. <laughs> I've been study. there. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, this is really kind of like bringing it all together. Like these are the problems. Now you, of course, have to stop drinking before you can. I was thinking about that too. Can anybody um, kind of benefit from this sort of thing, even if you're not getting completely sober? I don't know. I think you have to be. I think sober, you have to be sober. You know, because you can't. You're not thinking. There's no way you can. And, and this is why when you go to any sort of mental health counseling or or therapy, the good therapist, the first question they're going to ask you is, "How much are you drinking? Yeah. You know, are you doing any drugs?" And they'll tell you to stop because the real work can't start until your brain is yeah outside of that cycle of addiction thinking. Yeah. I mean, I know I couldn't. I didn't start to become emotionally sober and progress until I was able to significantly stop all using substances mm. for you know, six months to a year. I mean, I worked on it. Right. Um, and then I felt, you know, and then I could just move on to other things, not yeah. worrying about 
So I guess I could say it took me about a year, year and a half to really separate myself from that craving addict, I guess we could call it. Yeah. And then you're doing the work on yourself and fixing those uh, relationships, which, you know, the, the drugs and the alcohol probably weren't the thing that ruined your relationship. That was a symptom of what was going on. Right. You know, and, and so when you stop drinking and using, you come back to these broken relationships. Mm-hmm. And especially, and this happens all the time in recovery, uh, uh, one partner gets clean, the other one didn't have a problem, quote unquote, to begin with, but needs just doesn't get better though, because they still have neuroses. They still right. are, you know, and the other person in the process of getting sober, you do all of this self-help work if you're doing it, mm-hmm. and you become a different person, you know, a better person. And it's very hard sometimes for relationships that to can survive. Be, that, that can be threatening to yeah. other people because people are used to dealing with you the way you were yeah. when you were. They when counted you were the on other me way. to be right. unreliable. Right, but the flip side of that is, you know, do people fall fall in love with addicts, or do they, you know, or or do most people see the the person underneath all of that addiction? You know, when you fall in love with somebody, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you know the per- because. Obviously, the not using you, the you who is not using, is is a better person yeah, than the you, you that was using, that. right? But if the relationship was unhealthy it, and it maybe relied on a certain amount of dysfunction, mm-hmm. you know, once once uh, one partner can't blame everything on the other partner because they're actually not doing the wrong thing anymore, mm-hmm. they have to look at themselves like like oh wait, my partner is now sober. He or she is not, you know, doing the things they used to. They're contributing. They're being, you know, good and trustworthy. So why am I still having these feelings? Right. And the, the answer probably is because you have to do work. You know, you have to improve as a person, yeah. too. Even if you're not considering yourself, you know, in recovery or addicted, you know, it's, it's a good time to look at yourself and say, what can I make better about, you know, my happiness and how I interact with the reality? Yeah, that's something that really came across to me that I was thinking about when I was listening to this is that the drive for emotional sobriety and differentiation is not something that should be specific to um, to addicts or alcoholics or people that have you know yeah. some kind of some something going on like that. It should be for everybody. I, I really right? believe that. I feel like you know maybe if we did focus on these kinds of things as children mm. you know the kids you know i was thinking what kind of different world we'd have if uh having a child therapist was as common as a pediatrician right Imagine, yeah, I, I think that's like a great that it idea. was just part of your health. You know, you go see doctor, this guy, and then you go see a therapist that, you know, kind of helps you actualize yourself and not carry these neuroses throughout your life. And no. I don't know, maybe until, that would be amazing. Until we get universal health care, I suspect that that's <laughs> going to be out of reach for most of the people who would have to go out and pay for it. Um, plus, you know, a lot of the reasons that people become undifferentiated or um, stay undifferentiated uh, and have these problems because of trauma, you know, in childhood, right? And and dysfunctional relationships with caregivers. That's a huge part of it too. So, you know, uh, yeah, that that's something that has to be addressed I also, thought, you know? 
I thought it was really interesting that this author, as he's a doctor, um, I don't know, is he a clinical psychologist? Yeah, a PhD psychologist. Um, but he, he also talks a lot about the AA program. You can tell he's an AA person. 38 or years. He doesn't lean too heavily on it. He actually talks a lot about how the AA program and Bill Wilson's philosophy sort of support his model for emotional sobriety. Well, Bill wrote a letter after he was sober for 21 years, and that, I think, is the first mention anywhere of the term emotional sobriety. Mm. And you know me and my <laughs> my relationship with Alcoholics Anonymous, or Such lack thereof, um, but I found this this letter written by, by Bill Wilson to be really, really... Um, um, well, well considered, well thought out, and uh, extremely poignant? honest. Is I don't know if I'd use the word poignant and and pernicious. I would also say that you know, Dr. Berger didn't exactly bring out the issues that Bill was alluding to in his letter, like the excess, the incessant womanizing and everything. But clearly, Bill had you know, um, the man was a wise. good sense of, of oh, yeah. what was going on inside of himself, Absolutely. and you know, he was fairly honest to himself. And um, Bill's a legend, you know. Part of the letter, you know, I don't want to read the whole thing. It's kind of long, but um, it, but Berger does in the, in the book, and but some of the the stuff that he says in here, like um, the adolescent urges that so many of us have for top approval, perfect security, and perfect romance, urges quite appropriate to age seventeen, prove to be an impossible way of life when we're ages forty seven or forty. Or 57. Yeah. Now that is like really insightful, right? I love that because I've been thinking so much about thinking about recovery and and active addiction as like a maturity issue. Yes. And I don't like to reduce the problems that I had and so many have to simple like immaturity. But, you know, that's what this emotional sobriety is talking about. And that's what Bill Wilson is talking about. He uses the word adolescent. Those adolescent urges. You know, it's very accurate, though. When I look back on how I behaved before and how I behave now, it's I feel like it is a maturity mm-hmm. type of thing. Have you uh, ever heard the, the old saw that goes around that, you know, you, your emotional maturity sort of stops, you stop developing it at the point where which you started abusing drugs or alcohol and that you're kind of stuck yeah. there and that you have to go back and sort of bring yourself back up to the present. Yeah. And, and if you look back on yourself uh, and your behaviors and when you started using and when you stopped it, to me, it looks, it sounds accurate. You know, I started using it at 14, maybe. Right. I was pretty much a 14 year old emotionally. Um, until I finally grew. Is that why we still tell dick jokes? It's exactly why. <laughs> That's why I get along with my 10-year-old yeah, so much. Right, right. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I love the language that Bill uses. Like, let me just read this. Some of the words, you know, people, this is a, something that gets in the way of some people from enjoying the AA literature, but I love it. He, he writes in this letter, I think that many oldsters who have put <laughs> our AA booze cure to severe, to severe but un, but successful tests, still find they often lack emotional sobriety. Perhaps they will be the spearhead for the next major development in AA: the development of much more real maturity and balance, which is to say, humility in our relations with ourselves, with our fellows, and with God. Mm. I mean, that right there should be on a T-shirt. You know, well, it's so catchy. Extra, extra large T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's real, real wisdom. And I think he was really getting to something. Um, You know, he also talks about uh, that Bill said he was talking about being 
differentiate, I don't know if you use that word, but mm. not relying on depending on almost anything but your own, you know, like sobriety and health, like even depending on AA, yes. Bill, at the end, what did he say he about said, that? He said, reinforced by what grace I could secure in prayer, I found that I had to exert every ounce of will and action to cut off these faulty emotional dependencies upon right. people, upon AA, indeed, upon any set of circumstances whatsoever. Um, quite a remarkable statement coming from the co-founder of AA. Yeah, um, I know, it's telling, and he's right. He's not, you know. But a, but a 12-step well, Berger says that this underscores a very important point. A 12-step program does not replace our dependency on drugs uh, with a dependency on the program. He said it does not. I would say it should not because I think in some circumstances, perhaps people get a little stuck in that area. You swap one dependency for another. But, um, but um, the, the other side of the, the other, no, not the other side of the recovery coin, um, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, another thing they talk about is um, part, part of the maturity is sort of being, sep like being separate from what's happening. Like, you know, it's easy to start to, like what happened to a lot of people in the pandemic, you know, they got so dependent upon going to meetings, getting that yes. validation, right. you know, and, uh, and it's great support. But if you're not developing anything outside that, you're depending on that. And that's not maturity. Yes. You know, I mean, you, there, you could, I mean, I remember from AA uh, walking into the room and then figuring out how I was going to spin my sharing and story to make it more interesting for the people in the room. And, and what that, what that is, it's, it's a lack of right. differentiation, right? It's, it's me trying to people please a room full of people in AA by making my tales that I weave to, to be more like in line with the, the group gestalt. Right. And that's not helping any, it's not helping me. Right. right. Um, Bill defined emotional sobriety as a real maturity and balance in our relationship with ourselves or fellows and our higher power. We cannot have balance if we make what the, what other people think more important than what we think. He also talks about the work of, um, in AA, his work helping other alcoholics. Right. And um, he says, in the first six months of my own sobriety, I worked with many alcoholics. Not a one responded. Yet this kept this work kept me sober. It wasn't a question of those alcoholics giving me anything. My stability came out of trying to give, not out of demanding what I received. Right. Doing for others without expectation right. of reciprocation uh, is part of emotional sobriety. Yeah. Because if someone rejects you, if you're trying to help them and they tell you to go pound sand, you can't internalize that. And right. Make it seem as if a, as a commentary on your own. Just move on to the next person. That's why the right? best telemarketers have perfect emotional differentiation. <laughs> you know, sales guys, you can make right? 500, you yeah. know, calls a day trying to sell, you know, stocks. And, uh, you know, they tell you to screw yourself. You hang up and do it again. Or it's psychopathy. It could be, it could be either or, <laughs> or psychopathy. Psychopathy. Yeah. Um, but this book has been really, really, really interesting. There is a lot more. One thing I wanted to get to, which we won't be able to get to today, is he actually lays out twelve steps, um, just like the uh, steps of AA and uh, the twelve disciples, the twelve months of the year. Right, um, twelve it's, it's is a, everywhere. It's a power number yeah. in Western. Society. It is, um, it, which would be interesting if you break it down in um, astrological terms. Uh, tw uh, twelve, two plus one is three, 
So the real base number is three, the power number three. And three times two is 33, which is the age that Jesus was crucified. Boom. Yeah. Now we're on to All something. Right, man. Um, so I think we should end here today. Yeah. We'll pick up with self-esteem next yeah. time. I, I think um, I really love this book. I really want to talk about this more. I want to hear from the monsters uh, out there. You know, come on our private group. Uh, email Mike at MikeR at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Tell us what you think about this. This is an ongoing conversation. We are diving into it. We are talking about it, trying to learn from it. Uh, I want you guys involved too. You know, the more heads, the better. Yeah, Dr. Berger does lay out 12 things. Should we leave them... Should we read them or should we leave them for next week? I say read them and then we'll cover them next week. Okay. So here's your path to emotional sobriety as laid out by Dr. Berger. One, know yourself and how to stay centered. Two, stop allowing others to edit your reality. Love that, man. Three, stop taking things personally. Four, own your own projections as an act of integrity. Five, confront yourself for the sake of your integrity. Six, stop pressuring others to change and instead pressure yourself to change. Seven, develop a healthy perspective towards yourself, your feelings, and your emotional themes. Eight, appreciate what is. Nine, comfort yourself when you are hurt or disappointed. Ten, use your personal compass to guide your life. Eleven, embrace relationship tensions as the fuel for personal growth. And twelve, recognize that the problem is not the real problem. What does that mean? You understand. What? What? Did you understand? I don't, what? <laughs> I was trying to get Arnold to say something funny, but I, I mean, I, <laughs> everything all of those, Arnold says is funny. All of those uh, could do be their own show. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm Stay very, tuned next week. Stay where tuned. We, we break it down. Yeah. And uh, with that, we are going to move on to, you want to take a break? Do you? No, I can keep going. Really? I'm, I'm feeling good today. Wow. So with that, we can go to... <laughs> Didn't drink enough of that coffee. <laughs> recovery in the news. Yeah! All right, recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news. <laughs> yeah, I did the rotary speaker. Yeah, the Leslie, if you will. You picked it up. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know if like, is this segment about recovery in the news or is this segment about drugs and alcohol and recovery in the news? Because hmm. a lot of times I do stuff that doesn't have to do with recovery, like today's story, um, which comes from somewhere. Oh, this is just sort of it's covering a, what's happening right, in drugs, a, alcohol, a, a, and a study uh, from addictioncenter.com. Um, which actually I saw it in a couple other news outlets too. Uh, college students, Nat, are apparently using marijuana more and alcohol less. Okay, that's good. No, it is. It is good. I think it is. I would rather, yeah. Uh, so a study that was sponsored by the National Institute on Drug Abuse at the National Institutes of Health, which is our government medical research organization there, uh, has revealed changes in the pattern of substance abuse present in the college student population. College students are using marijuana more and drinking alcohol less. 44% of college students said they used marijuana last year, while 56% reported drinking. That seems rather low for drinking in college. Or maybe I just... Dude, it's kids not wanting to tell the truth is what it is. Right. Any of these self-reported surveys you take yeah. with a grain of sand. Yeah, double it. That's uh, 122% <laughs> or whatever. 
Um, apparently, this represents a substantial increase in use for the former and a notable decrease in use for the latter. Uh, in 2015, um, 38% of college students said they used marijuana and 62% of the same population admitted to drinking alcohol. Uh Part of that may have something to do with the social acceptance of admitting that you use marijuana. So, yeah, it you know. is completely different. Even when I was in college, which was not that long ago, I just graduated. <laughs> now, the first time I went to college as right. a teenager, um, pot was not as accepted, even close. We're talking mid to late 90s. It was still considered, you know, it was illegal. You, hmm. It was a federal crime to carry a certain amount of it. You had to go to these deep, dark places to get this stuff. And it's just become so accepted in our society. So many more people will feel more comfortable experimenting because of that. And they find they'll like it better than uh, getting wasted. Maybe it's even easier to get. Well, um, and, and, and that is a good point because when I went to college in 1985, it was the same year that New York raised the drinking age from 19 to 21. So all of a sudden, alcohol um, was harder to get but being in the Bronx at yeah. a school like in, in right in the middle of an urban center, pot was very easy to get. Right. So even among the people on the floor of the dorm that I lived in, the jocks, everybody was able to get pot easier than they could get yeah. booze. So there was a lot of pot smoking going on in the I mean, 80s. pot had a definite mystique to it. Like it was, I feel like everybody smokes a little pot now. And back then it was cultural. It was the deadheads, the hippies, the guys with the bell bottoms with that had like a stripe of corduroy patchwork on it. Like it's oddly specific, but yeah. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of a specific <laughs> pair of pants that I used to see this one hippie wear in college. And uh, it was one of those things where like you were being part of like a movement. If you weren't one of the, the pot smokers, you know, that was a, a thing. I mean, well, that's the way I saw it. Yesterday's counterculture is today's culture, right? Because right. uh, another interesting point of this study is that the proportion of college students uh, reporting the use of psychedelic drugs was higher as well, increasing four points to 9% in 2020. Yeah. So one out of roughly one out of 10 college students is uh, taking uh, magic mushrooms or Well, um, you can get it now acid. in these, they call it uh, digital therapy. Um, sort of doctor on a podcast I was listening to was talking about it. This is where you're seeing all these ads for, you know, like psychedelic treatment online. Have you seen these on Facebook? No. You can get, you basically, they, I guess because of the pandemic, some laws changed and you can do telemedicine now. And right. I could, if I, I forget, I don't know what it costs. I didn't go that far, but you can get <laughs> ketamine therapy. They walk you through it. They send you the medicine. You can get psilocybin therapy. Really? I get ads for this all the time. You're kidding me. And uh, in the best part was I saw one for naltrexone and Vivitrol. Oh. And so, you know, that, you know, part of this is great because it makes this kind of these therapies available. I question, you know, whether they're going to get actually good, you know, doctor, you know, uh, oversight, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I would think not. Um, who, who knows? Maybe it's as much as you want, but it, it definitely will allow for just about anybody to be like, oh, I can get a certain amount of so wait mushrooms every week. Can, but where do you get the mushrooms from? They mail it to you. They mail you psilocybin. But, but has, has psilocybin however. been legalized for that sort of thing in New York? Like, I can't imagine. I don't know. I think that would have made bigger news. Uh, you know who should look into this? Grant. Money Smooth. Grant. Grant, look into this tell for us. us. About, tell us about like, psilocybin and these, acid. And, and if, this digital therapy stuff. Let I me know, know if more. I can order some. Yeah, it very, <laughs> seems very strange. Or don't. Uh, some people think that 
just getting back to the story that the decrease in the alcohol use among college students was because of the pandemic. Uh, there were less parties, right? Yeah. And but I don't know. Hmm. I don't know, actually, if any of these statistics are reliable. There's so many freaking colleges out there. And um, I don't know. Both my nephews are now in, in college. One's at Ohio State. The other's at a, at a Ohio school like nearby. And uh, I saw a picture online of the younger one who's for, finally at college visiting the older one at like a, a concert or something. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, man, they're having a blast. Yeah, you know? I'm sure they are. Uh, I, I guess I don't worry about them as much as I should. I talked about how, you know, some of them sneak a beer, or, you know, and their parents are okay with right. it. And I'm a little worried because it's a family disease. They've got the gene, but they also have, you know, their mother's side. I don't know if there's alcohol. I mean, they're German on the mother's side. So who knows? It means maybe they can hold their liquor. <laughs> I don't know. Or, the you know. I worry about them, you know, but I also am envious a little bit like they're in the prime of their lives their brothers they're i know it sounds awesome you can't go back though no nope. right nope. the wheel is turning you can't slow down who says you can't go back Ugh. what song is that i don't know i think it was the bon jovi song it is bon jovi getting people to go to new jersey that's i don't like bon jovi no i'm sorry and uh I yeah tried. anyway that's it recovery in the news right Ooh, sorry yeah <laughs> Very loud. Hopefully, I'll smooth it out with a compression. Yeah, compress it. <laughs> that brings us to Week and Weird. Prison inmate reports odd UFO sighting by who? Tim Banal. Tim Banal saw a UFO? No, he wrote oh, the article. Okay. An inmate at a prison in England claims that a UFO... This is a reliable witness. An inmate at a prison in England claims that a UFO appeared outside the facility and caused a weird physical effect on the bewildered witnesses who saw the curious object. The unsettling account came by way of a letter to the outlet, Inside Times, which is a publication for prisoners and detainees. Okay. Very niche market. Yeah. Uh, Captive audience, (laughs) that one might say. (laughs) Oh, God. The... um, for prisoners and detainees. According to the inmate who goes unnamed, the odd incident occurred earlier this year at a facility known as HMP, the Vern in the county of Dorset. In recounting the puzzling event, the letter writer insisted that, quote, I do not believe in supernatural or aliens from Mars, but what we recently saw here in the prison was really strange and still leaves me speechless. Maybe it was from Venus, you know. While he and his fellow inmates were out in the prison yard getting some exercise, the witness says that he spotted a hawk that appeared to be sizing up some prey down on the ground. The glimpse of Mother Nature in action took a strange turn, however, when a, quote, a very bright light, which I first thought was the sun, appeared as the clouds opened. I should have done a British accent, but I'm not that good at it. Uh, Incredibly, the peculiar glowing object then approached the prison yard until it was approximately 100 feet above the exercise area. The sight was so strange, he says, that both the prisoners and the guards were captivated by what they were seeing in the sky above them. The already weird event became even more bizarre when the UFO, quote, started to shrink and collapse in on itself until it sort of just dissolved into a cloud of mist. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like an, okay. a, a UFO. I, what it sounds like to me is somebody spiked the Pruno. <laughs> <laughs> somebody put a... Li- I love how, you know, the reporters on the street, you know, they're, even when you're incarcerated, you can, you know, you see these UFOs. I mean, they're everywhere. 
you know, if, if you guys have seen a UFO, a bright light, uh, if you're in prison, please write to us, Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. <laughs> I think we should start getting paranormal stories. You're asking a bunch of people that have been doing drugs for years if they've seen anything weird. <laughs> I think we should start. I want your ghost stories. It is spooky season, oh, everyone. Oh, it's true, yeah. And as you know, I'm a big fan of paranormal podcasts and uh, the spooky times. I'd love to get some ghost stories. Or if you have a, a like a drug story. Yes. When something supernatural a supernatural happened, drug story. That's what I want. That's what I want. So uh, please send them in. And that is Weekend Weird. Well, that about does it for today. That's it. We had a great time as always. Thank you so much we for did. listening. I had a great time. I had a great time. Did you have time. a great time? I did. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Podbean, Apple Podcast, Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. So tweet us at twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt. Guys, we've got these awesome t-shirts. Mike's happy to mail them to you in a timely fashion. I'm happy. As so long as uh, we get the alert and I send it to him and, you know, we're working on the process. Simply write and say hello. We love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. And finally, the best way to, sh- to help the show is to share it with a friend. If mm. you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non profit et perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. <laughs>